Good morning, ghosties. This is Sam Gilstrap, your host for the Ghost Lights podcast. Today on episode 61, we sat down with Cajardo Lindsay, the writer, director, and star of Blackface, a story of nobody, a project that he's been working on for some time and is very near and dear to his heart. We covered his law career and how he stumbled into acting. This episode has been brought to you by this week in part by The Whiskey Tasting, a production put on by both the Catamounts and DCPA's Off Center. There are still spots available for this unique interactive theater and whiskey experience, so please visit thewhiskeytasting.com for more information and tickets. Also, I'd like to recommend that you listen to a destination, or I should say, listen to Destination Freedom Black Radio Days, wherever you get your podcast from. It picks up where the first nationwide African-American radio drama produced in Chicago by Richard Durham more than 60 years ago left off. And our colleague and friend, Donnie L. Betts, is producing, directing, and collecting the stories for that podcast. Once again, episode 61 with Cajardo Lindsay. Sit back, enjoy. Now, Dan, give me war by the Hypnotic Brass Ensemble. gentlemen ghosties at home this is your man sam gilstrap we are back again episode 61 with the amazing good friend and i'm just i'm just i'm speechless i've got him back Cajardo Lindsay's in the house everybody so Cajardo. Oh, uh, hey what's going on sam gilstreezy that's measy oh sheezy <laughs> all right we could probably <laughs> i'm doing great thank you for asking how is yes. how have you been doing with the family the last couple of months? Um, last couple of months specifically, we've been doing well. Uh, both my sons have taken off and gone to college during this pandemic. Uh, that's the choice that they decided to make. So I have my youngest up in upstate New York, and my oldest is in Ohio right now. And so the house is pretty much empty. My wife is learning how to, uh, and me as well, cook for just two folks. And we also have a new addition within the last four months, which is our dog, uh, Sierra. Oh, wow. What type of dog is it? She is a mix between a miniature pincher and a Jack Russell Terrier. Oh, high energy dog. Uh, yes, you took the words right out of my mouth, man. My God. <laughs> this girl, whoo. Anyway, she can run. She jumps on everything. I mean, she's the fat. You can't catch her when you want to teach her. I mean, she's just, yeah, 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 yeah. Everywhere. <laughs> but yes, that's our new addition. Nice, nice. I got a new dog, too. His name is Mike, and he is always sleeping unless I'm dragging him around outside. Which what is- kind of dog is Mike? He's a seven and a half year old coonhound mix. Okay. Yeah, big floppy ears, kind of overweight. I'm not so much to blame for that, but I am <laughs> definitely to blame for it. But yeah, whenever I take him outside, like after a block or two, he stops sleeting. And he he's just, like he's tired. Yeah, just like <laughs> I just end up dragging him. Like I'll take him around Cheeseman Park, and 
it, like I, he could be in the best shape in the world. He would still be like, I'm you're dragging. I'm me. done. Yeah, I'm done. I'm done. <laughs> I took care of my business a block ago. I'm done. Dogs are great though. Have you, as has your new dog already like taken ownership of your heart? Um, our new dog has taken ownership of my wife's heart. I'm still getting used to it. Oh. I am not, uh, at least in the past, a dog person. Mm. Um, I like to be able to get up in the morning and just go straight to meditation without barking and taking dogs out. And it's just, you know, but I'm getting uh, used to the inconvenience. I know people will be like, what? You don't like dogs? I didn't say I didn't like dogs. Mm -mm. I just said that I've not really had a dog. And here we are. And I'm adjusting to it. Yes. I hear you. I hear you. Don't misquote my man. If you do, I will come after you. <laughs> he loves dogs fine. He's just, he's got his thing. just getting used to it. Yeah. You know, I, I had a way of doing things for many, many years and that all of a sudden switched and changed up. And so, you know, Oh yeah. but I'm oh, open yeah. to change. Life is full of it. Absolutely. Is that part of your routine? Wake up and meditate? Um, yes. Mm -hmm. Most days I just, I get up pretty well i don't know if it's pretty early for everyone else but i get up maybe about six o'clock sometimes 5 45 mm -hmm. <clears throat> lately i've been sleeping into seven i don't know what's what's up with that but typically i get up early in the morning we have uh, a little walk-in closet that i go into i sit down and just clear my head or i'll focus on the day or i'll just do uh journaling in the dark mm -hmm. uh extemporaneous writing Nice. It's just something that I started doing um, and that it just became habitual. And I think it's really helped me uh, keep my sanity, especially during the pandemic. Mm. Did you notice an uptick in the, in the stuff, like, or I should say maybe a more focused writing in your journaling during the pandemic? No, I was probably more focused questions mm. more so than a journaling. Um, because, you know, a lot of things happened during the pandemic, at least for us. And, and for me came a lot of uncertainty, which brought up some, um, some fears in me that I hadn't necessarily had to encounter, but for <laughs> the pandemic, which caused me to ask certain questions about direction and, and what can I do to, um, to get to the bottom of certain fears and also um, how can I was just be better used during this time period and I'll ask questions and then I'll just start writing without uh, censoring and to see what's, what comes up. Sometimes I ask questions on behalf of family members and friends and, and just deliver the message. Mm. I, I, I can tell you for the most part, it doesn't, at least from my uh, my vantage point, it doesn't come from me. It's not coming from my intellect. It's not coming from my experience. It just comes from a place for me a lot deeper than that to where when I read it, I'm like, okay, I'm encouraged. I feel like I have a direction in which to go. Um, and I feel like it, it, it comes through this extemporaneous writing. Mm. Is that something you review after you've completed your meditation period? Um, sometimes it's different every time. Sometimes I may even start out doing that and then mm -hmm. I'll go into meditation. Sometimes in the middle, I'll, I'll, I'll feel the unction to, to write. I'll start writing. Then I'll go back into a meditation. Sometimes I don't write at all. It just mm -hmm. is more so being in the moment of what's going on at that particular time. Mm -hmm. Was there a specific 
um, thing in your life that kind of spurned the desire to start meditating? Um, I have for a long time been really drawn to spiritual things, <laughs> for lack of a better term, and um, the desire to self-realize for another lack of a better term. And I found for me, um, because my I'm very analytical, mm -hmm. uh, I'm an attorney by trade, which uh, is highly dependent on your analytical skills and thinking and if this, then that, and it just becomes exhausting. And I felt like I needed something to, to, to ground myself. And that was the meditation. And when I say meditation, um, I don't know if it's like a traditional meditation that other people do, but basically what I just do is I just sit down in silence and stillness. That's it. If a thought comes up, I don't resist it. I'll let it come through. And then I just sit and I'll listen to my breathing and just be very specific with the moment. I'll take a breath in. Do I feel what nostrils going into? Where does it go into my body? When it comes out, what, where am I feeling it coming out? Sometimes I feel it coming out my left nostril, sometimes the right. Mm. And just listening and just what comes up. And through that process, especially uh, I was having a rough period four or five years ago, through that process, a lot of the things that I had suppressed throughout my whole life start to come up to be dealt with. Mm. And um, when they did, I had the tools to deal with them. Whereas in the past, when I was younger, I didn't have the tools. I felt like what you need to do when things come up that are painful or traumatic is that you keep stuffing them <laughs> and eventually they go away. I found that that is not the case. They don't, uh, they stay latent in the body and the cells and, it wasn't until I was able to get present to where those things happened, those traumas all happened in the present moment that they started to, to come up to be dealt with. And I was able to just feel them, express them and let them go about their merry way. Hmm. I'm, I'm so glad we we're on this, this, this topic so early in the pod um, that I'm assuming there was a necessity you felt within yourself to like face those, those demons, uh, for lack of a better phrase. Yeah, I had, without going too detailed, yeah. I had a very unusual experience back in 2016. Um, it actually happened to me in the middle of a play that I was doing down at the Denver Center um, all the way. Um, the best that I could describe it is that, um, and it, is, it just sounds weird, but everything in me was like, we cannot continue to go forward as we have been doing. And that was in all areas of my life. I mean, physically, emotionally, mentally, it's like everything. If there was a such thing as having a, a breakdown without necessarily actually going into a doctor or in a hospital and saying, commit me, it's what I had. It was like there was this moment during that time period that, and then that play where my health started to decline tremendously. I lost a ton of weight. I went from like 205 down to 179 pounds in two and a half months. That's mm -hmm. a lot of weight. Um, I was diagnosed with illnesses that I don't have now, but at the time, doctor says, this is what you have. Um, I was in tremendous fight or flight anxiety, and I had not really dealt with that in my life before. So I didn't really kind of know, know what it was. I mean, I had one bout earlier, which was similar to this one, 
but it was just like, what the heck is going on to where the doctor says you have no adrenal glands. You've flown through them. You are in constant fight or flight, Hmm. which is not a great place to be, especially when you're performing in front of hundreds of people, um, eight performances a week. But uh, I was given the grace, I had the grace for whatever to get through those performances. And after that played, things just started to fall apart, like mentally, emotionally, and physically. And what I gathered from it is that um, there was something deep down in my soul that wanted to, um, for lack of another better term, evolve and say, no, we're, we're tired of living this way. Mm. We're tired of living in... Um, low self-esteem we're tired of everything is about accomplishment you know me as an actor has changed tremendously tremendously too we, we will no longer use this gifting to build yourself up <laughs> now it's just to be used as a tool um whether it be plays or films uh, to help show people a mirror and be as genuine as you most possibly can uh, and as present as you can but it's no longer about you, which is unfortunately, or not even unfortunately, this was just my path. My path to the arts is like validation, mm-hmm. esteem, like, okay, let me find something I could do well and then praise me for it. And then that's where I get my identity. And that whole structure said, nah, we're done. <laughs> mm. Fuck that. We, we will no longer exist in that way. And one of the major components that helped me transition into this new way of being, because how I see the world now is dramatically different than how I saw it then, Mm. is those times of stillness. Wow. Especially in the morning. (laughs) I hear you. Who knew, man? What are we talking about here, man? Like, how you get me talking about this, Sam? Well, it's uh, that's totally not what I anticipated talking about. I'm it's just, all I'm, good, though. I, I trust. I and thank you for trusting me with some of this. I yeah, definitely, absolutely. when you when you started going down, it was like, yeah, I wanted, I want to keep the things that are yours, yours, but I'd also like you to to share with me. Yeah, for sure. And 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 so you know, I see you. Like that's absolutely why I got, why I kept theater in my life after college. It was, it was the only place I was getting A's like that. Mm-hmm. So I was like, absolutely. oh, there it was. Like, okay, yeah. And and I just give stayed, me more of that. Give yeah, me give me more of, of those A's. Give me more of those claps. <laughs> absolutely. This transition into not so much of a focus seeking of validation for your work is that what drove you in this i mean within the last couple of years i've seen blackface become a big part of your artistic goals and getting that out there and completing it and it it sounded like it was something that you had been working on much longer than when you started sharing it in social media yeah so just so the the listening audience understands what we're talking about with regard to blackface i'm I'm not going out performing in blackface it's more so um it's it's actually a film um that i've written called blackface the story of nobody which uh in a nutshell is about uh, a black man in 1918 who grows weary of performing in blackface who gets the amazing opportunity to perform William Shakespeare's Hamlet on Broadway without blackface, but first he must uncover his true worth. So um, to answer your question, blackface came in um, really 
just before these major transitions in my life. So me writing, producing, and it's not just me. We know, we both know film is a collaborative effort. So there are a whole ton of people who are associated with this project right now. But um, what I would just call this transformation, the blackface came just about a year or two before that. And now it's integrated within my very own trans, um, a transformation. And the story that we're telling is the story of a man very like myself who um, has broken his neck and so to speak, uh, to, to be validated and accepted through his art, not necessarily based on who he is, but what he can do, who eventually needs to come or will come to uh, an awakening um, and a knowledge of self to know that he is who he is, not because of what he does, but because of who he is. Mm -hmm. And nothing outside of him, whether it be hand claps, applause, and even doing Shakespeare on Broadway will ever fill this deep hole uh, that we have in us, it has to be done from the inside out, not the outside in. And that's pretty much, I'm writing what I know about because I'm going through the very experience myself. Yeah. Did that transition period shift the direction that blackface was going down? Yeah, um, it, it, it can't help be influenced by where I am right now presently. Every time I go down to do a rewrite, if I wait three months to do it, it was like, okay, I see things slightly different. This is what this moment is about, or this is what he says, or this is what he doesn't do. Um, and so, yes, it is uh, fiercely intertwined with uh, my own life experience as it is today. Mm. And, it, and, the, and the project has evolved um, with me and will probably continue to evolve until it is set in stone, uh, either digitally or on celluloid once the film is done. Yeah. What, what was the process like for getting this going? Um, put it like this. <laughs> if I knew what I was getting into when I said back in March, 2019, that I was going to do a independent film, not sure whether I've got would go down that road. However, I've done so much and been um, learned so much through the process that it's almost like I'm almost over the bridge now. There's no need to turn back, no need to stop. Yeah. Um, so it's a lot involved. And, and I learn more every day about the process. They tell you that when you become an independent filmmaker, you're actually a small business owner. Mm. Um, and I found it to be true. However, this is a lot more um, challenging than other small businesses that I have run that are solo um, small businesses that are basically dependent on me alone that I can run, <laughs> you know, maybe an additional person. Uh, this filmmaking experience is so collaborative. Uh, I mean, I can go on names upon names of different people and it's filled with many things that, um, I personally don't know how to do, or I'm not adept at doing, or even have no interest in doing. <laughs> my interests are shaping stories. My interests are acting. My interests are offering opportunities to people like me, who someone gave me an opportunity. It's like, you gotta start somewhere, yeah. you know, and someone's waiting on an opportunity to show what they have in them, this gifting. And I love being able to be a part of offering those opportunities. Things that I'm not so much into is creating marketing materials, 
pitching and asking folks for money and you know it, 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 so it's a, a very involved process however having said that we have some wonderful people on our team that help spread uh, the uh, the duties that need to be done when you're encountering something like this one of which is my wife mm-hmm. who is uh, a producer on the film I have a small team that we meet uh, weekly um, specifically for improving pitch materials, raising money, brainstorming on how to raise money in social media. And that team is um, my wife, Mashonda. Uh, we have a woman out of Philadelphia. Her name is Kelly Jackson, who's involved in various film festivals. Um, who's been in the business for years. And we also have uh, a younger member, Tia Phillips, who is a former student of Colorado College and who will be going to get her master's in screenwriting down in Colorado College. And we just meet weekly. Um, We build each other up. Um, We discuss the to-do list of what we need to do. How can we do it better? just an array of different things. And so it's, a, it's an incredibly collaborative process that I could even begin to do uh, on my own. And and it's more than a notion, I can tell you that. Because yeah. <laughs> everybody has opinions too, you know, of like what your story is or what it should be about. And you're trying to get good, healthy criticism on how to to make it better. Mm-hmm. And it's, 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 it's a lot to this process. Yeah. It's so. a lot. And yeah. I'm not complaining. Uh, I'm actually learning. <laughs> I'm like, wow, okay, this will be a lot easier once we finish this, and the next time we go we come around. Yeah, I'm glad that I'm glad that at least it sounds like there's a mindset that there will be a next time. There'll be another. Oh yes. production. Well, that's what my um, desire. The company that we uh, started, my wife and I, 2211, mm-hmm. it's just geared to where we're telling these types of stories, inspiring stories. Uh, it involve people of color. <laughs> uh, I was going to ask, like, what types of stories are you uh, focusing on specifically? People of color um, stories uh, that have a spiritual component, not religious, but a spiritual component about overcoming, finding the goal that, that is within as opposed to seeking what is without. I mean, it's just basically our family's experiences and see how can we tell that story in a lot of different ways. We can mm-hmm. tell that through horror. We can tell that through drama. Um, I'm writing a horror story right now. I'm only six pages in, but I mean, even the spiritual overtones are coming out <laughs> in the first six pages. <laughs> ah. So, I mean, we write what we know about. Mm-hmm. How do you just some sparked me here? How do you draw the line between spirituality and religion? Um, for me, yeah, uh, and and I'll, I've never even actually answered this question, but spirituality for me is inside out, whereas religion would be outside in. Um, I've been heavily into religion since I was a child and my experience and what I've noticed that it is a lot of what's outside or showing what's outside and and conforming to various rules. And I'm not saying religion is bad. It's just not for me. Um, Whereas for me, spirituality comes from the inside and it's a deeper dive into um, 
the divine in me as opposed to the divine outside of me in the sky, sitting on a, <laughs> a chair in the clouds um, that is directing everything. It's like, I feel like the divine is in us. Yeah. We are the divine. The God, that, well, this is kind of controversial, <laughs> but the only God we're ever going to meet is within each other. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, that's how I feel about it. We are divine individuals. Yeah. Uh, I, I totally agree with you. It took me a, a very long time, and I'm still hammering at all my feelings on the subject. But I mean, when I think about it, yes, I'd love to be wrong, but the God that I've seek, I was seeking my whole life, that that energy, that that belief, was here. Yes. And I had to, you know, you got to sift through a lot of stuff. And even as you're sifting some, like, it's like when you're, when you're digging a hole on the beach with your hands and every time mm-hmm. you pull back a big chunk of dirt, some falls right back in and you yes. got to start the work again. And it, mm-hmm. that's just, you know, that's kind of how I feel that this, this process is working for me. Excellent analogy. I love that. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to use that. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, please do put it, in, put it in your next movie. Mm-hmm. I'll when, put you in the next movie. <laughs> please do. I will. Mm-hmm. I will do whatever you ask me to do, sir. Mm-hmm. I will be there. Yeah, what, man. Yeah. what are some of the challenges you faced becoming a filmmaker? Um, what initially comes to mind is my own self. I'm the challenge, the doubt that is within. You know, the voices that say you've never done this before. How are you going to do this? So the voices that say, why did you tell all those people you're going to do create a film? You've never done this before. How do you know you're going to do this? And who's going to help you with this? And who's going to help you with that? I mean, that has been the biggest challenge is, 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 is myself. Um, and then often I found myself throughout this process um, adding to those challenges when you talk to various people, like I said earlier, everybody has an opinion on how this process should go. And I'm not, that's not to invalidate anyone who's been through it and it worked that way for them. Um, Mm -hmm. Initially, when I said I was going to do this, I had access to various people, people who've actually made films and and people who will be considered um, named talent in films that we've seen and they say certain things of this is what you got to do and initially I was like well you've done that before you actually doing it so I gave sanction to what they said Mm -hmm. and it wasn't until you know in those meditative moments in the morning it says no Pajardo yeah some of what they say may be true for them but it doesn't necessarily have to happen that way for you um one of the examples was um it was a name actor saying in order for this to work, you're going to have to get some named talent, named talent for anyone out there who doesn't know what that is. is these are stars. People, when you look at them, you know who they are. Mm-hmm. As soon as you see them, you look at me, um, unless you're a Colorado theater goer and go to certain theaters, you probably wouldn't know who I am. Um, um, but they're saying you have to have named stars. And I went on this tangent of, yeah, I need to have named stars. And then in that meditation, it was like, well, what do you mean you need to have this? The story is about figuring out that you're enough. Mm-hmm. So you're telling me that you're going to figure out you're enough by adding people to make you enough. <laughs> I 
adding these name people and then you'll be enough, Cajardo. Is that how it works? Oh, is that the story we're telling? I'm like, no, that's not the story we're telling. I'm telling Blackface the story of nobody. The nobodies out there, um, the people who no one would ever see, the people who stand under the radar, the, the, uh, the marginalized. This is what this story is about. Mm. That's what this story is about. And not to say that we won't eventually have named talent, but it won't be because it's needed. It's because it's, it was right for the project. It's, it's what happened organically. It wasn't because if we don't have them, then the show doesn't go on. It's not like we well, we have money, but we don't have a name actor, so we're not going forward. No, that's not what we're telling. That's not the direction that we're going. Mm. It sounds like that, I mean, that push is more where your heart was telling you to go as opposed to what you were being offered. Like, it wasn't just circumstantial. It was like, no, I can do this. That's the point of this. Yes. Nice. Yes, I mean, and, and, and even at that, that's a learning process. I have a really, really good friend. Um, his name is Travis. He's a filmmaker. Um, he does most of his work in L.A., and he's a writer and script doctor. And it wasn't for him. I don't know if we'd be talking right here today, at least not about this project. Um, but he was the one that convinced me. He says, Cajardo, let's start shooting. I'm like, what are you talking about, man? I just wrote a script. He's like, well, when you write a script, what are you, <laughs> what are you writing it for? I'm like, I don't know. I was, I was just writing, man. <laughs> He's like, no, let's shoot something. I'm like, oh, and he planted that seed within me. Cause in my mind, I was like, I knew that's what you do with scripts, but in my mind, I'm like, I've never done it. I don't even know who would help me do this. And who's to say that you can do this, Kajardo? Don't step in the, stay in your lane. You're an mm. actor, get the script and then you uh, but he challenged me and I'm like, okay. And I asked a bunch of questions. I got on the internet. I mean, of course I've had, I've done this for 20 years, uh, film and television and theater. So I kind of knew what goes on on a set. And he said, let's go for it. And we got some people together and we shot that first um, proof of concept short film. Mm -hmm. We shot that and it aired uh, over the summer of 2019 at the Color of Conversations Film Festival, inaugural film festival, which is hosted by um, Stephanie and uh, Floyd Rance, uh, who recently moved to, to Colorado. But I mean, without him planting that seed saying, let's do it, I don't know that I would have ever said, let's get it going. And then mm -hmm. we did it. And it's like, well, what are the, what's the process? And um, I relied heavily uh, for that first proof of concept on Mitch Dickman, who's a fellow filmmaker in town. We're good buddies. And he really helped me out through, through that process. I was able to storyboard it, um, found a cinematographer, communicated the vision that I had for it. We set a shooting date. And as that date approached, I was shaking in my boots, man. Mm -hmm. I was shaking in my boots. It's like, I got all these people to come together. I'm using my own money. I've taken my own money, my family's money to pay folks. Uh, this was before we did the Kickstarter. Mm. Um, and you have no idea how this is gonna turn out. It was like the fear of the unknown. And you're doing it in blackface in, brunch, oh, in, bunch of, in, in front of a bunch of people, and <laughs> which is humiliating, mm. you know? 
Um, not as an actor, but I mean, that's what it, it's humiliating. To, that's how we were portrayed, yeah. you know, and to have to explain that to uh, to folks who this is their first encounter with it. They're like, well, what is this? I've heard about it. And, you know, but what actually is it? Mm. And so I was filled with a lot of trepidation. But that that morning I got up. I felt like everybody knew their assignments and I had the grace to communicate what I wanted done. And once we did that, I was had the grace to let it go. I told my assistant director what I want. We all agreed on the shots and how we want to get them. And now you have to trust them. And I let it go. And then I went and did the acting part and got in front of the camera. And I was as committed as I've ever been with everything that was going on of like, I'm gonna let go. This is not an intellectual exercise. Was I mean, that- I, I, I went and had my acting lessons and my coaching. I mean, I always, for the most part, mm. uh, COVID has really um, stepped into that, but I mean, got coaching on it. And I just had to let, even I let the acting go. This character is coming through. Yeah, It's coming through and I'm, I'm not going to measure it. I'm just gonna allow it to be what it is. Was that hard for you, that letting go? It doesn't sound like it. No, it wasn't. Moment. I thought it would be. I mm-hmm. thought it would be. I was told that it would be. Uh-huh. I've been told you need to get somebody else to direct it because it's, it's, you're using two different sides of your brain to do these two different things. And when that first was said to me, I was like, well, I've never even experienced it. So I don't know yet. So I'm not going to accept that as my truth. And I didn't have a problem doing it. I didn't have a problem doing it. We shot another a proof of concept video in this past August in the middle of COVID, mm. which premiered in October at the Color of Conversations Film Festival over at Cleo Parker Robinson's uh, theater. And I had the same experience. And that time, um, what I wanted to show myself, because the first um, proof of concept, it was me. I mean, we didn't have the money to pay a bunch of other actors and extras. And so we were creative in how we created the, the feeling of people there, but it was just me on stage. Um, the next challenge was, okay, Cajardo, you know, you can direct yourself on what you want uh, or allow that to move through you, but can you direct other actors and even children? And so we took another scene from the film and we shot uh, another proof of concept that showed the family uh, with Jada, right? and I felt yes with Jada. Jada played my wife, and uh, Sayel Charles played one of my nephew, my nephew, and Lila uh, Brooks Roberts Roberts played uh, a, a role in that as well. And to be quite honest, Sam, it felt like home. It felt like I was born to do it. Like I knew exactly what to say to the actors. And I don't even know if that even came from being an actor. It may have, uh, maybe I was talking to them how I like to be talked to when I'm on set, but I literally, I was able, we were doing our scenes and I was observing myself, but also being in it as well. And so fiercely committed to the take, the scene we're taking and then able to take my actor aside and say, okay, now let's do it like this. Da, 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 da. I was amazed at that. I'm not you know, puffing myself up, but I was amazed that I was able to come from these two different vantage points at the same time. Mm-hmm. Now, whether I did it well, I mean, that remains to be seen. Um, <laughs> uh, well, no, and it doesn't. 
I, I did the best that I could. It is what it is. Yeah. And, um, and folks who've seen it have appreciated the work. It felt like a success to you. And that's what matters. What, what else matters? Absolutely. Exactly. Yeah. I, it's so, so interesting to hear you talk about seeing yourself and observing yourself in that moment while you're living it. And I wonder, would you, we kind of talked to how, you kind of mentioned how you don't know where it was coming from or, or what allowed you to experience it in that way. But do you feel like maybe it was just the confidence from the first time shooting your proof of concept that was developed there, that ability, that ability to articulate and let go of your vision carrying mm. over? Is it just no. you knew the people no, you were because, with? No, because, uh, well, in, in some respects, yes. Mm. I had confidence in, okay, I've storyboarded this. I, I had the same conversation. This is just a different scene. This is, we've done this before. <laughs> um, uh, what I did not have confidence in, um, which ended up turning out fabulous, is COVID. You know, we hired um, a COVID compliance officer, which was Kinsey Kilroy, who was excellent in separating us uh, in our zones uh, according to um, the union um, rules and whatnot. Yeah. So I was like, how is that going to work? And there was that added fear of what if? somebody gets sick on this set i what i don't know what i would do you know that that would be awful if something you know so i was we were dealing with that um but what i had not had the experience in uh specifically is directing other actors mm -hmm. specifically children and I love children. And it, to prepare for that, I called and I said, hey, I have friends who have directed kids for shows. And I found a guy who had directed a couple of the um, Christmas Carol shows down at the Denver Center. Um, and I had a conversation and I said, hey, I'd love to talk to you about working with kids. But before I do that, I want to tell you what my approach would be and tell me what you think of that. I want to know if I'm in the ballpark, this is what I would do with these children to help them get in the moment or just to play. Mm. And when I got finished with my vision for how to, to direct these children, he was like, man, you're spot on. And then he came and complimented that with, you can do this, you can do that and the other. And then I took all that information. Then I brought it to these two children who I know I've seen before, but never dealt with them in an artistic capacity and knew that I had to be flexible even with them because they're human beings. They're, they, they respond differently based on different stimuli and trying to figure out what that is. And we were able to have a nice 30 minute conversation before just playing, talking about life, ba 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 ba. And every now and then sneak in a little bit about what we were trying to do with the script and see if they were comprehending it. And phew, these are smart kids, man. It, it was a joy. It was a joy to, to cast them and, and to work with them. Wow. That's, that's really cool. They yeah. got it. I mean, there was one moment, like, <clears throat> just to let you know how they got it. And this moment specifically was regarding um, Lila. Mm. Uh, we'd had a shot, a scene, and I'm directing them to see something that hasn't taken place. We're gonna shoot the next part the next day. I'm telling them, this is what you're seeing. <laughs> and I'm letting them play as children and say, you, we're doing this. 
see us right. We're actually out there doing this right now. You might not, but you got, that's your job. Mm. And they're like, okay, okay. And then I was telling them and walking them through because of course we're going to take my, my uh, audio out and keep theirs. And there was a moment, something happened. And I said, Lila, what do you think about your reaction? Does it take a little time that she's, I got you. This is a little nine year old girl. She's like, yeah, I wouldn't have done that that quickly. I need to first see it. And basically what she was saying was I need to see it then let it register. And then comes the reaction. I was like, and so when she had it, I quit talking and I said, okay, you got it. And we did it next time perfectly. And I was like, whoa, whoa, that, this is fun. Yeah. Nine <laughs> years old? Yes. Wow. Yes. Yeah. That's, that's amazing. How, how, yes. Is that something you would attribute specifically to her? Or do you think that's a, a capability that a lot of kids share? Um, I don't know about a lot of kids. I, my kids haven't been that age in a long, long time. And I haven't been around children uh, that age since my kids were that age and going doing sleepovers and going to schools. And uh, so I don't know about a lot of kids. I suspect that it was a confluence of everything, mm. like them being comfortable with me, them knowing that I'm in their corner and I want to present them in the best light possible. And then their own innate ability as actors uh, and then their own intelligence. And so mm. I, I think it was a combination of a, a lot of things, you know, but as far as whether other kids could do that, I would imagine so. I mean, they're, they're more close to playing than we are. <laughs> it's hard to get us to play and be in the moment when we're, when, when we're older and we're, we're so worrying about whether or not how we're going to be viewed and how we're going to be seen. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I have a couple of scenes written in the movie that I'm like, wow, Cajardo, can you pull this shit off? Can you really do this? And it's because it, be, it, it requires me to get wholly outside of myself and to present myself way beyond anything that Cajardo would do in his normal life and anything that Cajardo has done on an acting stage, you know, and it's just like, you got to let go, buddy. You got to let go. You got to play. You got to play like when you were a child. And I suspect those children, those kids are, are closer to that than we are. And then they're just actors that we know that are just, that's their gifting. They mm. can just flow and la-la imagination land and, and be it automatically. I, it takes me a little to settle down and to let go. But it gets easier and easier the older I get. Nice. I have to write that down, gifting. You've said it a couple of times in regards to the work that you do. You're sharing your talents, gifting, yes? Yes. Wonderful. Um, when you were writing this, did you specifically going to those moments where you are questioning, do you, can you do this, Cajardo? Did you put that in there trying to challenge yourself or was that just no. the natural progression? No. So when I write, um, for the most part, I try to write this what's in me. And I had already outlined the story. Mm -hmm. This is what happens then. And this is what happens here. And this is when he gets knocked down again and he has to get back up. And so those moments were there. 
And then you start to put the meat on the bones and it's like, and I think this happens during those quiet moments where when you, you get quiet and you start hearing the voice of, this is what happens. I'm like, really? Oh, okay. <laughs> and I write it out. So I'm not trying to challenge myself. I'm not, to be quite honest, trying to do anything but write the story as it comes out. My mind isn't thinking, wow, this will be a, a great story to say, for instance, 15 years ago. Let me write something that I can get me noticed. <laughs> Let me write something that will get me an Academy Award, da, 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 da. Not that those things are nice to experience. I, I'm not saying that at all. But my writing process now is, well, what? And a lot of it is my own experience. It's like I've been this. I know that. I know what it feels like. To, 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 to have people look at you and think that you have it all together and you're shaking in your fucking boots. I know that. I, know, I can write that. Mm. I know what it's like to overcome those fears and get out there and do something. I know what that's about. And then there's other things. I'm like, it comes out and I'm like, I've never done that. Mm. I, I just write it. I'm like, I've not, I've, I've not done that. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I mean, stuff that I would actually and I've had plans for it actually need consultation on, you know, someone who actually does do those things and say, I need to work with you. Uh, I need to work with you for a week mm-hmm. to, to learn the rudiments. What is the foundation of these things, you know? Yeah. And then like a magician, make it look like I've always known how to do these things. <laughs> right. Do the, do the work. Do the work. Mm-hmm. How much research did you do? in lieu of writing this? Well, the story is inspired by an actual uh, historic figure. Inspired. I didn't write this man's story, but it definitely was inspired by Burt Williams. Burt Williams was uh, a black-faced minstrel in the early 1900s and was prolific. He was a comedian at one point in time was the highest grossing um, recording artist of his era. He made tons of money. He lived in Harlem, New York. Uh, And I read no less than three biographies about him. And I have two or three other books that I've skimmed through on his life. And one thing that was pretty consistent, which is where I got the idea for it. We never even talked about how I got the idea for this story. Yeah. Uh, but part of it came from his desire to want to do more than blackface minstrelsy. Mm. Minstrelsy. He wanted to do Shakespeare. But at the time that he came around, it just wasn't possible. At the time that he came around, if a black man wanted to get on stage, especially anywhere near Broadway, you did it in blackface. It was the Netflix of the time. Everybody performed in blackface. That's what people want, not people. That's what white folks wanted to see. Those are the folks who owned the theaters, who managed the theaters, who were going to the theaters for the most part. Mm-hmm. And it was a hit. A huge hit for almost 100 years. And we're still dealing with it in many respects today with people who want to <laughs> put a little black face on and pay homage to their favorite black entertainers or whatnot. I mean, yeah. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so um, it was inspired by Burt Williams. So the research was that. And then also doing research on where did this come from? How did it come into being? And 
and did it when did it start to phase out and and how does this play in my story would this ever have been possible you know and if not then how do we get to the point where we're actually doing it in this story yeah so that was the research have you found a parallel in terms of the physical act of performing as a black person in blackface and things you had to do in your earlier career? Uh, I mean, I'm not saying you've definitely no, done not, a show not like a, that. No, I understand. I think I understand what you're saying. And I can say that for the most part, thank God for those who came before. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I've had my share of going out for thugs and whatnot and it turned down a fair amount too. But to that extent to where I feel like I am selling myself out, no, no, I, 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 I can't think of any type of experience. I can feel experiences where I feel like um, limited as I, as I would imagine my protagonist does in my story and the actual Burt Williams did where you feel limited that the people only see you a certain way. That's another reason why I wrote the story is that I love uh, classical theater and hey, maybe I just suck at it, but I can tell you this, I was not being cast. Mm-hmm. It's not. And it was only seriously considered when it came to Othello. Mm. <laughs> when we're talking about like classical works and I was like I can do these other roles I can do Hotspur I can do Hamlet I can do Macbeth I can do Richard Set. but I felt like at least the place of where, where I was auditioning and, and I don't I don't know what it was all about but at the end of the day I wasn't being cast mm-hmm. you know I've been understudy a couple of times and I have had one lead Shakespearean role since I've been in Colorado wow. acting. And that was when I first got here. And I have been cast once in another role with a hugely significant role. Um, but I was unable to do that because of my, uh, my legal schedule. But for mm-hmm. the most part, my experience has been, no, this is not for you. This is for us. Uh. This is not for you. And that could be a multiplicity of reasons for that. It could be because of equity contracts. It could be because I'm just not fit that director's vision, but I can tell you how it felt after year, after year, after year, after year of being on stages, being recognized for your work, but not being, uh, the door not being open to do classical work. It felt like there was something more to it. And thank God for it because it forced me to write. And I, and I identified with this guy when I read, I said, I know how it feels to want to do something and people see you a certain way. And the ideas that came to me, why don't you write about a black-faced minstrel who gets the opportunity, since he wanted to do that, to play Hamlet on Broadway. Mm. And fuck what they say about this would never happen. Well, we've reimagined and it happened in my story. Nice. You know? Yeah. And things are changing, you know. We see you is forcing a lot of theaters to look at the way that they've cast things. And even before that, it was a couple of theaters here and there um, who were thinking non-traditionally and casting people of color in these Shakespearean roles where the, the, the story is heavily thematic and not necessarily about <laughs> what color you are, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, you know what, I'm not upset about it. I was like, you know what, if that's what it took to get me to write, God bless it. 
God bless those feelings. Every uh, after every audition, I walk away, and we all know as an actor, you no one books, you know, a high percentages, and so they, to a certain extent, it comes with the territory. But with regard to classical stuff, it, I just felt like I, it felt different for me. Oh. But it got me writing, and it. And then next thing you know, we've written a story that is a semifinalist at the Austin Film Festival, semifinalist for Diverse Voices with We Screenplay, a finalist with um, uh, Diverse, not Diverse Voices, but uh, We Screenplay's feature uh, screenwriting labs. And so that's what it took to push me, and God bless it. It's definitely pushed you to a high quality of work, it sounds like. Um. I don't know. Well, <laughs> uh, who's the judge of that? But yeah, I guess so. I, 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 can, I can say that I feel more present with the word. Mm. Really I feel like I can let let go Definitely. and let the character do its stuff. And then every now and then I do get in my own way. We know that that's like as an actor, it's like, oh, we let me let me impose upon this character and let me give the audience what I think they want to see mm-hmm, <laughs> mm-hmm. as opposed to what is actually happening in that moment and trusting that I feel like I'm getting better at that um, yeah. whether that's seen in my work from someone outside of me I have no idea I have no idea mm. how's the barometer for yourself uh, yeah, the barometer for myself is, the, is exactly uh, what I'm talking about. <clears throat> I feel like I'm letting go. And then when I'm not letting go, I'm aware that I'm not. <laughs> yeah. And able to go inside and what's this about? Uh, I'm not saying that every performance I do, I feel like I'm in bliss and, and, and I'm unconscious and I'm just in the moment. Um, but this is like anything else. I mean, you keep doing it. You, the more you do it, the better you get. Um, or the more you're able to release to it. If you already have the, 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 the innate talent for it, then it comes out that way as well. Mm-hmm. I, I don't have the talent to be a bodybuilder. I'm not getting up under 500 pounds and doing it, but I can work my way to that. Mm-hmm. There are people who are physically they're able, that's their talent, they can do that, it's not a problem. Um, I see the same thing with acting. There are actors out there who, by all accounts, if you see their personal lives, it's a freaking mess. But when they're able to get into the work, they're able to be present like none other, that's just gifting that they were given. Yeah. I don't know that that's me. Uh, I just know that uh, I'm aware of it and open to being more present in the work. Have you trying to find the words for this question? When you started acting, was it the work that excited you that made you want to do it more often and get to a specific place with your career? Was or was it something else? It was just um, it was a spiritual inspiration. Mm. That's how it started for me. I actually started acting in law school and was never thinking about it never had only seen one play in my life. And that was when I was in middle school, had no interest in it. Um, and one day, or actually it was a week, a series of days as I was going to uh, one of my acting classes, I kept hearing this inner voice say acting. And I was like, what the heck is going on? If I keep hearing this again, 
And so finally, on like the fourth or fifth day, I went to my, uh, I, I lived off campus and I went through the register book. We had this book and I said, does Indiana University have a, a theater school? And they did. <laughs> and so I, instead of going to class, I walked over to the theater school. This is, I think this is my second year law school. And I walked in and I, it was this woman sitting there. Her name was Marilyn Norris. I said, ma'am, I'm a law student, but something tells me that I'm supposed to be acting, <laughs> which is bizarre, man. I mean, I can't explain to you how bizarre it was to have that because I'm like, I had no frame of reference for any of that. And she, um, she took me by the hand. She did. And she says, well, um, let's start you out by coming and watching the um, National Society of Arts and Letters acting competition, which our master's students are going through. I was like, great, cool. Okay, I'll do that. And when she said that, something lit in me and I said, I want to be in it. And I signed up for it. I'd never had done an acting class. And um, I found two pieces of Man and Superman from George Bernard Shaw. And I did Six Degrees of Separation from John Guare, I think his name is. And I memorized those pieces and got a note to self, never get a music professional to help you with your acting auditions <laughs> unless they have that gifting too. But anyway, I mean, the guy told me, when you say this, you lift your hand. And when you say this, you turn your head. Whatever it was, I didn't know any better. And I did exactly what he told me to do. And I, uh, there's some things that get me on stage because I was frightened to get on stage with these masters, MFA students. But I got on stage and I did it. And it was just, in hindsight, it was awful. But the judges who were professors at Indiana University, um, they complimented me on things that they could. And they said things like, man, you have a presence and there's something about you, not about the acting, because it, it wasn't there at all. It's just like, there's something there. And that's where it all started for me. And once that started, I initially, I want to be a movie star. I want to make tons of money. I want to do ah, this, that, the other, you know, because I felt like each year I got better at it each year I get better. And then it was great for my ego and it was great to build an identity out of until it wasn't. <laughs> yeah. That's what were some of your earlier influences then? If you didn't have the frame of reference before that period of time in law school, but as you started working at the school, like what were some of the things? Well, this is what to? happened. Um, so I found out that there was a program at my school, Indiana university where I could take outside classes, outside of my acting, mm. I mean, not out, outside of my, my legal studies, and I can take them for credit if I could show that there was a nexus between that outside discipline and what I would be doing as an attorney. So I was in law school taking acting 101 classes, voice classes, acting 102 classes. I, had, I was doing a double caseload. I was doing acting and law, but I wasn't doing acting towards any degree. It was just because I wanted to act and they were giving me legal credit for the acting classes that I was taking. And so that became my frame of reference, my earlier um, acting teachers, one-on-one acting teachers. Mm. That, that's all I knew. Wow. I, I knew nothing else. I had never seen anything else except for Oliver Twist in the seventh grade. Uh, of course, I'd seen movies and all that, but as far as theater, my entrance was through mm. was through theater, and so that was it. That was it, wow. and taking auditioning classes, 
And my first play was a play written by, I can't even remember his name, but it was done off campus. It wasn't even an Indiana University uh, play. It was a play in Bloomington, a community theater play called Between Men and Cattle. And I played uh, a waiter with no lines. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I, you'd have thought that I was freaking Humphrey Bogart. I was like, oh my gosh, I got my first, my first play. And from that, it came something else. And from that, you know, I got called to go to Indianapolis and I auditioned for this equity production. And then I got cast in that. And I'm like, how did this happen? And, you know, uh, but it's just, just, I just feel like, you know, I was born to do it. Well, do you feel so? I didn't, put it like this. I didn't pick it. It chose me. I wasn't even yeah. looking for it. No, absolutely. You're on your way to another law class and Correct. you can't shake that voice. And then and another thing that helped me, and I forgot to mention, is I did my um, my last semester of law in London. I clerked in the British Inns of Court. While I was over there, all I did was watch theater every night. That was the first time I saw an August Wilson play. Wow. Was in London, I saw um, Two Trains Running. And I was like, what the heck? This is what I'm doing. And when I came back to the States, I got my law degree and I became an actor. I didn't practice law for another eight years, seven or eight years when I, when I needed to make some money mm -hmm. <laughs> is when I went and took the bar and became an attorney. But after I left, came back from London, it was like, oh, that's what I want to do. I, I want to do what they're doing. I'm, I'm watching West End plays day after day, Hamlet, Inspector Calls, Les Mis, Two Trains Run. I'm just like, this is what I want to do. Mm. For Five bucks a performance. <laughs> oh my! There was a time where you could see theater for five bucks. Well, it was <laughs> the student prices, and you yeah. get you go right before the show starts, and and this was years ago. Yeah, yeah. I, I, it wasn't I, five; but it was five pounds actually. So what is that? What seven bucks? <laughs> I, I am uh, this. I got out of. I got into theater because math is hard for me. <laughs> don't even ask me on how to do conversion rates I hear you. <laughs> did you just uh, something i've always wanted to ask you that passion that you found to be an actor was that there for law when you were studying it and when you came back to it like it's not like i need the money no. so no i never had passion for law oh wow never had passion for law i went to law school because i got my behind kicked through some racial stuff and I wanted, and I was the one in the, that ended up getting arrested and I was the one that got the criminal hit record. Mm. And when that happened, I felt incredibly um, disempowered, if that's even a word. And I said, I need to figure out how to know what my rights are. And I went to law school. That's why I went. Now, there were some benefits from going, which is, you know, when I was in law school, I was able to do the British externship, the clerking in the British Central Court or clerking in New York City at the National Football League. But it was never my aim to actually become a lawyer. And, and then when this acting came in, I was cool just with the degree. And it mm -hmm. wasn't until later when I did, actually, like I said, we needed to make money. I had two young kids. I'm like, well, what else can I do? And my wife was like, don't you have a law degree? I'm like, what? I don't want a lawyer. Are you kidding me? And but I end up doing it and I've been one ever since. Mm. And so when I say passion, there are elements of it that I get me that get me going. And those are trials in which I'm able 
to use many facets of myself in order to tell those stories, one of which is the theater aspect mm -hmm. of myself. Why would you have it and not use it in your trials? And so I've used it in many trials. Um, but as far as passion for it, I wouldn't say that. I do like to help people. Um, and I do realize that uh, I had um, some really strong gifting in certain areas in order to tell stories in front of a jury that other uh, attorneys from me watching just didn't have. Mm -hmm. A specific presence. That and the ability to use your voice, the ability to personify characters without having them be there to talk to people who aren't there, but help people envision what happened because I am acting it out, uh, even imitation. And once you've heard witnesses testify, I find myself mimicking them and so that the, the, the jury remembers what was said. Um, pausing, dramatic pauses, all this stuff that comes natural when you're just doing acting for so long, I found was creeping out into my legal work. Mm. Trial practice specifically, the other aspects of motions and, and, and drafting and all that, just I don't see that as one of particularly my strengths. Yeah. It seems like a job where you're constantly in your head when you're not on trial for a specific day. Is backtracking to our earlier conversation on meditation. Is that something that you worked work in after a day at the office before you go to rehearsal or before you sit down behind the, in front of the computer? No, it's not like that. This is mainly in the morning. This yeah. mainly in the morning. I mean, and to be quite honest, some of my stress, most stressful times is when my legal career and my acting career overlapped meaning I have a big, long, giant, important trial, whether it be when I was doing criminal work, it might be a homicide case or a civil work, whereas this is huge case against an insurance company. Mm -hmm. And then that same night, I need to go do a performance. That stressed me out. Mm -hmm. And I was able to get it to the point where those didn't overlap too often. But when they did, uh, which is what happened back in almost in 2016, Mm -hmm. um, when I had a huge, huge trial and on the heels of that, I'm right into all these rehearsals. It was just like, whoa, well, it, it could be a lot because it's just, you're just, you are, for me at that time, you know, I was doing two different things. Yeah. Wearing those hats. And those are two, I mean, while you may be able to incorporate some of your skills and talents from performing, those are definitely two different hats you got to put on. Yes. Yeah. Yes. For the most part, there are aspects that are they're the same. Like when you're doing opening or closing arguments where it's just you talking, then that's more theater. But then mm -hmm. when you're doing the questioning and the examinations and cross examinations, it's, it's, it's a different muscle. Absolutely. At least for me. Us. What is that ghost light you wish you had on for you before, before you started working on blackface? Can you ask, ask that question in a different way? Yes, I can. What is that? What is the piece of advice or awakening within you you wish you had at the start of the process of creating that story? Um, I don't. Mm. I like the way that it evolved because I was able to learn through the way that it was happening. If I'd always started out that way, this would just be more about an exercise in creating something and then presenting it to a group of people. This has been part of growth 
for me. I didn't always recognize it that way, but it's been a part of growth of, do you really mean what you say when you say that this story is about recognizing and finding out that I am enough? Um, because it'll show where, where you're not, <laughs> where you feel that you're not, mm-hmm. put it that way. And so I, I wouldn't trade uh, anything for it. And in fact, I've gone the opposite route. Because um, I, I mean, I'm not, man, when I say I get up and meditate, I, I ain't, I'm not talking to you like I'm Eckhart Tolle or I'm freaking self-realized. No, I mean, I have my own struggles. Like, um, like I would imagine a lot of people do. And so, I mean, this is just one thing that I feel the universe is used to help, to help me grow. And hopefully in helping me grow, the story that is told is gonna give liberty to folks who watch, you know, what theater does or movies do. It inspires you to be fully who you are. You see something in yourself up there on screen, you're like, man, boom. And I just think it's particularly special for me to have uh, a black man uh, who's a protagonist in his own story, taking agency and figuring it out as he goes through and he makes his mistakes as well. It's not something that we get to see uh, too often. It's happening more, uh, especially since George Floyd, there's this interest now in, <laughs> in making sure um, our stories are told and seen and for whatever reason, great, great. Uh, but yeah. No. Definitely. Um, Before we go away, you had mentioned that there's a performance piece that you're working on. Um, Can you, are you at liberty to talk about where that would be available and what's it called and who's putting it on? Um, Man, I'm so embarrassed, but it was one of those things where I have a really good friend Mm. who um, asked me to do it. And so I haven't even fully read the script. I just know that we rehearse once, I believe, next week. And then the following week, we're going to perform it. I do know that it is with a, um, uh, a theater company that was started um, by women, for women. It is out of, I believe, Chicago. Um, I am the only male in the piece Ah, and that's all the information that I have at this moment. No worries, no worries. Yeah, that sounds interesting. I, I, if you get if you get that title to me, let me know, and I'll and I'll put it on the on the page, the Facebook page. Thank you. Absolutely. Thank um, you. I just want to thank you so much for sitting down with me a second time. We did a podcast way back in the day when I was still doing everything off my cell phone, and yeah, I, that was pretty cool. It it was it was really. <laughs> It was really humbling for me and it was a big get to get you that first time. And every time we talk, I'm reminded of one of the last nights we were doing night of the iguana together. And Mm -hmm. there was something different about your, your pre-show routine. And I was sitting in the back hallway and, and you you came back there to join me, sit back there. And we were quiet for a long time. And I was quiet because you're my man and I look up to you and I didn't know what to say and all that stuff. And, and then we I just, remember that vaguely. Yes. Yeah. And then by the end of it, we were, we were talking back and forth and, and it was just, the lights were dim in the hallway. And I was like, here I am sitting with an idol and I'm about to go play with him. And I mean, I'm you were so amazing. You were simply amazing. Amazing. <laughs> in that 
And I'm so glad we, we, we met when we did. Sam and I go way back. Absolutely. In my opinion, we go way back. Yes, we do. And I love him. I love him like a brother. Oh, man. Brother. That means the world to me. That really does. <laughs> Thank you so much. I feel the same way. Ladies and gentlemen, ghosties, it's Kajardo Lindsay. The piece is Blackface, a story of nobody. Please be on the lookout for it. Um, follow him, follow them, Blackface, on Instagram. On Instagram at Blackface Movie. Mm -hmm. on twitter at blackface movie on facebook at blackface movie and uh, you can also catch our uh, website at blackfacemovie.com absolutely get on get on board with this one i've seen the first proof of concept video i've seen the imagery from it it is and i know the man putting it all together it's going to be special he's absolutely right that it's an it's a story that we don't get to see that often, even if we see a transition occurring right now to maybe get these stories out there more often. He's doing it. He's going to be special. Um, it was a special conversation. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Dan, do the damn thing. to do this man felt like you're like roger cronkite sitting back <laughs> hit me with these questions <laughs> hey i i was did you I, get through any of your questions oh yeah no you got through all of them oh cool